Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who like to use a lot of words yet say nothing at all Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 307 for May 2nd, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about end grain orientation for panels, smoothing a bookmatched panel, scraping glue, and our feature topic today, the Festal Domino versus the World. <laughs> I like that. If that's not going to lead you, we'll I don't win. Listen. Yeah, it's like a comic book title. That's great. Uh, but before we get to all that, let's take a moment to talk about a very special sponsor. We'd like to welcome Kalo as a sponsor of the show. Kalo is the functional wedding ring for your hardworking hands. Kalo silicone wedding rings are safe for your finger. And now the new quality collection rings made with Q2X material are 10 times more resistant to gas, oil, and solvents, and less rigid than traditional silicone. Kalo rings are incredibly comfortable and start at just $15.99. Head to Kalo.com, that's Q-A-L-O.com, and use the discount code WOODTALK for 15% off your order. That's a pretty sweet deal. And let me tell you something about Kalo. All right, we got in with these guys because... Uh, odd coincidental timing. Um, you guys remember Brandon Gort? We interviewed him on the show. He was on that Framework show on um, Spike. Was yep. it Spike? Yeah, Spike TV. And uh, he had posted something about an injury or a near miss that he had involving his ring. And I read that and someone linked to the whole, uh, whoa, what was it? The Tonight Show guy, Jimmy Fallon. Uh, he had an issue where he had fallen and went to brace himself, caught his finger on a table and nearly had one of those uh, degloving incidents if you want to see some gross stuff look that up yeah so he had this bandage and almost had his like lost his finger so in the article i was reading it linked to some of these you know uh silicone ring companies and kalo was the one that they mentioned so i'm looking at it and i was talking to nicole and like you know i'm kind of interested in this i get a lot of crap you know uh, periodically about wearing a ring in the shop around spinning tools um and i like wearing my wedding ring this isn't something that's uh you know that my wife forces upon me it's something i love to do uh it's the only adornment that i have on my body jewelry wise and uh, and i'm very proud proud of it. So I like to have something like that. And uh, I was really interested. She goes, you know what is crazy? We have an email sitting in in the marketing inbox from these guys that they're interested in working with us. So I was like, well, there you go. That's perfect. So we did start working with them. So thank you so much, Kalo, for uh, sponsoring Wood Talk. And uh, you'll be hearing more about them in the future. Tell you what, so far in my experience, I've got the black ring, uh, of course, because I'm like uh, Johnny Cash over here the uh, skinny guy in black and uh, it's it's great like you don't even know it's there it's super lightweight hugs the finger just right and um you know my my beautiful platinum wedding ring is now safely tucked away where i'm not going to lose it and if i want to put it on if we're going out and i want to look fancy uh, i've got that there and i could do that and uh, the great thing about this new one like they said this new material is uh, much more resistant to chemicals and things so if you're getting into finishing and dealing with solvents you certainly don't want to dissolve your ring that would be bad uh, so I, I, this new material is definitely going to be a lot more appropriate for folks like us who are getting our hands into the stuff uh, so definitely check it out qalo.com you uh, do not want to overlook this opportunity 15 percent off all right, so let's move on to uh, some individuals we'd like to thank who helped us out with donations. Nicholas Ryan, Peter Steeper, and our buddy, Robert DeVries. Thank you so much, guys, for helping us out. And you can, too, by going to woodtalkshow.com, looking in the side column, and clicking on one of those donation links. And we'll mention your name at the top of the show, just like we did for Robert, Peter, and Nicholas. Uh, I'd also like to give a very quick, totally unrelated shout-out uh, to a gentleman named Brock Cragenbrink. His son Jordan wrote me and said that uh, his his father is a really big fan, and he said, "Can you, uh, you know, mention his name or give him a shout out on Wood Talk or call him?" Now that Let's second thing will not be happening, 
But <laughs> because you know what? I won't even call my own wife. Now, if you want me to send Unless him Unless you pick up right now. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if you, uh, I don't know, I could send him a quick text, but uh, mark no callie people. Unless, <laughs> unless it involves money. Um, that's just the way it works. <laughs> or money or doctors. Let's, let's, so there uh, you go. If you want to get call on the show, just send in how many number dollars and we'll, we'll give you a call. <laughs> have a dollar per minute rate. Uh, so there you go, Brock. Uh, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for uh, watching The Wood Whisperer. And we hope you enjoy hearing your name. So, gentlemen... Boy, I've done a lot of talking already. Let's get into what's on the bench. Uh, I'll make it very quick. My my uh, quote unquote, making my air quotes here. My apprentice is gone. A month went by like that. It was, was amazing. Fast. Yeah, it was really fast. And uh, the the cool thing is, I actually was in a shop today and did pretty much. I would say ninety nine percent of like the finishing touches, woodworking wise, uh, excluding the finish. Um, and that's all that was needing to be done. Like we actually did get this project done in that time frame, And uh, I was very impressed. I had, had a pleasure, uh, was a pleasure having David in the shop. And frankly, I got to say, I love being alone. Like I love being like the only person <laughs> in my 1800 square foot shop where I, you know, can hear the echo of my own voice and the pitter patter of my own feet. And I can listen to podcasts. I can listen to music, do whatever I want to do. I love that. And having worked with him for a month, it actually, I was like, whoa, I kind of miss the guy. Like, I would like to have this dude in the shop all the time. Uh, so it was a little bit of loneliness. It was very weird for me. So uh, I guess that bodes well for for what the experience was like having him in the shop. It was an absolute pleasure. David, uh, he's an awesome guy. And uh, anytime I'm running through, he uh, lives in Kansas City. So anytime we go to visit uh, Nicole's family, probably going to have to stop by and see what he's up to and let him treat me to some barbecue. So see, I think that part of the apprentice program should include a life-size cutout. Yeah. You think so? If, if for no other reason, just to like, you know, how you have like the employee of the month, like, you know, photos on the wall and the places you need to have like past apprentices, we oh, apprentices yeah. on the wall over there. Well, you got to actually, have an empty wall I did give that, that, that some thought. And I thought, you know how, like you go to some New York deli and they have all the famous people that have been there and you see there. <laughs> yeah. I want that just on the top uh, perimeter, right where the, the wall meets the ceiling, just have these pictures all the way across uh, as many as we wind up having. <laughs> I think that would be great. It's a great idea. Uh, so that's really about it for me. Again, the bookcase is, is nearing completion. So that means I'm going to go into the editing phase and have that project out by uh, mid-May for the guild. So uh, moving right along. So Shannon, what about you? Uh, let's see. <clears throat> I um, got got a fair amount of shop time this week. I was very excited to spend lots of time in my shop, uh, if only to just you know put Deadpool on the TV and maybe do less woodworking and more watching that on the TV. Is that out already? Yeah, yeah. Well, at least on, I, I don't know if it's out on DVD. Probably so out like on iTunes. DVD. It was on Prime. I know that much. No so. kidding. Wow, that was fast. Well, not free on Prime. <laughs> I had to buy to it, purchase. But, gotcha. Yeah, I, I rarely buy physical DVDs anymore. Sure. So, you know. so I had that on, and um, you guys ever work on something and you kind of get in the zone, and you're just plowing through stuff. In my case, literally, I had a plow plane in my hand, <laughs> and um, suddenly you start seeing like smudges of red all over the project. Yeah. And then here's a drop of blood there. And then there's a smear <laughs> of blood there. And I'm like checking everywhere. Like, where is this blood coming from? And, uh, turns out I sliced the crap out of my pinky. Oh, um, oh. and it was like on the, on the, the, 
the far side of my pinky. So like the only way I could see it was to like contort my hand all the way around to look at the other side of it. But it was, it was dripping, I guess, so cleanly that it wasn't like running down my finger or anything like that. It was just like dripping away. So there was no blood. If I looked at my hand, I couldn't see blood anywhere. Finally, I, I saw it and it turns out that the hand that I used to hold the fence up against the, the board um, on my, my Philister plane, mm-hmm. the pinky was like dragging right on the point of the blade. <laughs> wow. Like the point, not nice. like, oh, it grazed it. Like the sharpest, sharpest point of a skewed plane. And like every time I was just basically, it was like inserting into the exact same part of the cut and like digging it deeper <laughs> and deeper and deeper. So it's a tiny little cut, but it was really deep. It's like a finger shooting board. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> nice. So um hurts like crap too even now but um so the the moral of the story is is proper plow planing you should always have your pinky up you know it's just like with any any proper environment always always pinkies up it makes it more fancy that way so pinky up planing that that's the important thing watch out for that uh (laughs) that trailing point of the blade Mm. and of course now i have blood all over the poplar parts of this thing so eh, secondary time to paint it red yeah That'll fix it. Cool. Matt, what about you, dude? Still working on my trim project. I got a lot of work done on it. I probably have like one more. If I can get like another like three or four hours of like straight time to work on on that thing, mm-hmm. I'll have the room uh, trimmed out and I'll be done. But the most exciting thing about this week's trim progress was that I put finish on the last pieces of trim. Um, and that was pretty exciting because I hand sanded all of those and hand finished them all. So it was kind of tedious and mm-hmm. I did it in batches because I didn't really want to like be hand sanding all that casing all at once. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I'm finally at the end of that and those are ready to go in and then that'll be totally done. And uh, it was nice this weekend. So I was uh, out back doing some slabbing again, you know, because nice. springtime. That's just how Matt rolls. Time to yeah, do some slabbing. House. Nice. I love it. I, I saw, uh, I think it was probably Instagram. I saw a quick little video of yours. You were unloading some logs, I think, from your trailer. Yeah. And I, I find it interesting how it's like a total Cremona family affair. <laughs> like, you know, because it's, it's Instagram and you've, well, we've got more than 15 seconds on Instagram now. But, you know, it was, it was sped up and, you know, it looked like maybe there were some clips spliced together. But it had that time lapse look to it because <laughs> it's like there's some, some, you know, adult male runs by in the background. Of course, there's Matt in the center, like moving stuff around. But. I saw um, saw your wife Lindsay show up, and I saw the baby, and I maybe uh, a mother in law in there, and it's like yeah. there's all these people standing around watching you work, and all I wanted to say is when's somebody going to help Matt? <laughs> and my my in laws were up on um, what was that Sunday when I did that, and uh, they were they hadn't gone for a walk with Jr. and I had just gotten back like halfway through the unloading, so you know I already had it under control. If you know what I mean. Everybody just stands around watching Matt sweat. Basically. It's just good moral support. That's what it is. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Uh, all right. Let's move into what's new. And a quick announcement here about a feed change in case you haven't noticed. I mean, if you have, you probably are annoyed by it. But uh, some things are necessary like this. We uh, changed our RSS feed primarily because the one we were using, uh, just to get a little inside baseball here for you, we were using SoundCloud. And they, have a, they pose a 250-item limit on their RSS feeds, which means with a show like ours that's been around for a while, that means we are limited to the last 250 shows. So if you're going in there to listen to the archive and using iTunes or some other podcatcher or directory, um, you're not going to be able to get them all. 
Uh, but remember, you can always get them at woodtalkshow.com. That's kind of the thing we want to drive home here. Go to the website. You can always download them directly there. Uh, now that said, we had to change the feed. So now the feed does have everything in there, but depending on your podcast app settings, you may have had them all flagged looking like new. And unfortunately, that means some of, some folks may have downloaded all of them because maybe they have it set to always download all new episodes. That works for an old feed. It does not work for a reset feed. So we apologize for that, but it's a necessary evil sometimes for us to change that feed to accommodate the changing needs of the show. But we figured it was better to satisfy having the full archive available than, you know, with sort of the calculated thing being, oh, well, crap, some people are going to get like a bunch of shows looking like they're new. Excuse me. So uh, unfortunately, we, you know, it happens. We apologize, but had to be done. Uh, another quick announcement, thewoodwhisperer.com slash giveaway. You really want to get in on this. Nicole worked hard on the giveaway this month. Well, she works hard on them every month, but <laughs> this one's really good. we got some cool stuff in there. Uh, one winner will receive an Arbortech turbo shaft, which is that the little turbo shafty thing. Yeah, you have to go look at it. It's kind of really hard to explain what it is. Is that why they call it a turbo shaft? That is. Because it's a turbo shafty thing. It's very fast and it's kind of shaped like a shaft. So yeah, go check that out. Uh, the other thing is one winner will receive a Bruso hardware prize bundle. And there's just a like there's a lot of stuff in there. There's hinges, templates, uh, they even have screw wax and the lid stay, install template, pivot hinge, bunch of stuff in there, valued at uh, $595. Wow. Yeah, so one person's going to get that lucky uh, treasure the trove. Is, the catch is there's only one of each type of hinge. Yes, exactly. So good luck with that. Uh, complete your set for $595. Um, and three winners, we mentioned Kalo at the top of the show, three winners will receive a Kalo ring prize bundle, including uh, two sets of quality collection Q2X rings, uh, approximate retail value, 50 bucks. So three people are going to win that. So you definitely want to get in on this, thewoodwhisper.com slash giveaway. And you two knuckleheads are uh, not allowed. I think you're too close to the... Uh, to the source here. So sorry about that. All right. Uh, let's move on to an actual what's new thing. This one here is from uh, Clayton. He says, have you guys seen this yet? A handheld CNC router thing called origin from a startup called shaper. It's pretty interesting stuff. Now we have talked about this in the past and I remembered, I'm like, wasn't this like an MIT student or something that basically mm -hmm. you move the router around and the router on the, the base that you have, the router itself is computerized. So it's moving within its own little world. And all you have to do is kind of roughly guide it into the area it needs to go and doing a little digging on their about page and the team, as it turns out, unless there are multiple people working on this at MIT, uh, the founders are MIT students. So I'm guessing this is now the concept that these, you know, these kids did uh, in college is now something that they're putting toward this new uh, venture and actually bringing a product to the market. So uh, pretty cool stuff. You definitely want to check out the video. Uh, this is still one of those things that I have questions. I have questions about the practicality of something like this, the cost um, versus like for folks who really need to do this type of work, uh, why they wouldn't necessarily go for some kind of a CNC uh, as opposed to this handheld effectively, what's kind of like a, a very smart handheld. It's not a CNC, but it's computerized and guided, and you barely have to do anything to get it to work. Um, so the tech is super cool, but I'm, I'm sort of reserving judgment until I actually see real applications, what it involves in actually getting it to work, if it's worth it, versus you know what's what's traditionally done these days by uh, very well by CNC. I think it's a prototype of the next Wii controller. <laughs> there you go, the, the <laughs> Nintendo router. Yeah, Nintendo woodworking. There's a new system coming out in 2017. Maybe that's what <clears throat> they're using. 
Yeah, that's what's going to be. It's going to be a little router. But, you know, if you think about it, I suppose with the, you know, <clears throat> explosion, we've been talking about virtual reality for years, but now that there's actually stuff coming out, yeah. I don't know. Maybe this is the step on the next way. You want to have your hands involved, I guess. So uh, I don't know. That's a bit of a reach, but. Yeah, I mean, if it, if that's the only thing is to make you feel like you were a little closer to the work, like you did more just because it's more satisfying. I don't know that that's going to sell product. It is kind of a contradiction. You know, you go to a CNC for that like precision and control. And now you add like the human error element, the possibility that of talks error. to the CNC. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. That's, Either way, you got to check it out. It's cool tech technology and uh, the videos and stuff are, are much better than they were when we saw them initially with the uh, like really early prototypes. So uh, pretty cool stuff. Go check it out. Nice. Uh, this next one comes from John, and he links to uh, a video by the Samurai Woodworker. I've uh, talked about him before, I believe, um, mm-hmm. in one of his workbench videos. He builds a jewelry box for his wife that will make all other husbands look bad. Whoa! Um, this is this is some good good woodworking going on. He carves panels, um, concave panels, to wrap around a convex walnut carcass. So imagine building like like a, a treasure chest looking thing out of walnut. And then wrapping it, and I didn't actually, it looks like maple, but I could be wrong. But he then like overlays like a screen of maple that's been carved, like full three-dimensional carving. Mm -hmm. And then he goes and puts like the little like uh, dividers and stuff inside. It's it's beautifully done. Really, really well done. And of course, he presents it to his wife at the end. And yeah, nice video. Well done. Making us look bad. Nicely done. (laughs) Good deal. My wife's happy to like get a pen off the lathe. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> this next one's from Dominic. He says, "Are you aware of this YouTube channel? Uh, Stinnit, Sticknit? I don't know. Maybe Sticknit Sticks. Something like that. Something like that. S T I N N E T T Sticks. There's a link here, and we'll have that in the show notes to the channel. Uh, beautiful walking sticks shaped like realistic snakes, carved from branches found in the wild." I took a look at the channel, subscribed. It's got some pretty cool stuff. This guy is very talented. Mm-hmm. And speaking of doing some crazy carving and stuff, definitely this is another one of those. Yeah, That's I think little... Dominic sent us this as a kickback to our snake in the tree, but <laughs> then also yeah. let's do so. It's serious detail on this stuff. Absolutely amazing work. All right, next one here is from Fuzzy. Perfect name. Love that. Uh, he says, check this out. He's the Chinese version of Robin Wood. And it is a uh, uh, Chinese guy who is uh, going to work every day and making these beautiful bowls. Um, kind of cool that he tur- he's turning like multiple bowls on this one blank. Um, so he's kind of just got them one after the other. And uh, at the nested, end, did you mean? Yeah, nested. There you nested, go. Nested together. Nice. Thank you. Uh, yeah, exactly. So he's getting four or five of these in, in one shot. Um, and basically, it's about this this community. There, you read the description. It tells you all this information about the village that uh, they used to all, every household used to make their own, um, you know, cutlery, essentially, and, and bowls and things like that. And now it's down to just the grandfathers and uh, the younger ones are starting to get an appreciation and want to learn the craft. Uh, very cool. One of the comments that I thought was really kind of funny, uh, you see the guy riding to work on the in the morning. So it's like, you know, guy uses a electric bike to ride to work and then a foot powered lathe. <laughs> you know, it's a little, <laughs> little ironic there. Uh, cause he's got this little moped. That's pretty cool. Um, or something like a moped anyway, but good video, go watch it. Some really cool, uh, you know, human powered turning techniques. Uh, Shannon, I think you would dig it a lot. Yeah. I, I checked this video out. It's awesome. <clears throat> Robin Wood. I'm a huge fan of Robin Wood. So he had me at Robin Wood <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> or Robin Hood. He's a cool guy too. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
yeah. True that. Video. I like it. And I, I do like the whole juxtaposition of the electric bike and the foot powered lathe. Yep. From a guy that pedals his own lathe while streaming videos from the cloud exactly. into a smart TV. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I'm into that anachronism stuff. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, this next one comes from Joe, and he's actually linking us to uh, a popular woodworking article that Bob Flexner wrote uh, what in the last week. You guys remember we've we've been around this this horn a couple of times with the way Zenser dates their cans yeah. um, to show you what the shelf life of, of the shellac is, the seal coat stuff. And apparently they did it again. And I guess it's in response to Zenser being purchased. Oh, uh, now I can't remember. Is it Rust-Oleum? One of the big, big finishing brands ended up buying this division and they've changed their date again. And they have some other weird code that you have to be like a cryptologic technician with a top secret clearance to figure out. But um, Bob broke the code, um, so we'll be sending out Dakota rings and boxes of Cracker Jacks everywhere. <laughs> um, it, it's it's pretty silly, but apparently, it, I mean, Bob, I, I really would like to meet Bob one day because he seems a bit of a curmudgeon, and I love that. Yeah. Something about the finishing expert guys that all seem to be <laughs> like everything's a conspiracy and everyone's stupid and this water-based <laughs> thing is ridiculous. In fact, Mark, didn't you have an interview on the Guild one time that like went off the rails a little bit? Yeah, with uh, Michael Dresner, and it was yes. it, it was about using water-based finishes. Yeah, and he just like tore the person a new one. Great. Anyway, um, this uh, Bob talks about um, how they don't actually list on the can anymore that there is a shelf life, that it goes bad. And they've taken a lot of information off the can that was really useful, like how to make a two pound cut, three pound cut. They used to have a chart on the can. They've taken all that off. So it's kind of funny because it is it is a bit of a curmudgeonly article. But there's also the secret key to uh, decoding the um, <laughs> Like when it was made now. So go check that out. It's interesting. Very it's interesting. really not obvious either. It's it's you definitely need a decoder ring to do it. Yeah, definitely. Cool. All right, let's get into our kickback. First one here is a voicemail from Brian. He's got some kickback on uh, moving a planer. Hey, this is Brian from Minnesota. Love the show. Just had a little kickback on uh the planer uh question you guys had with uh, upgrading to a, a larger floor standing model. Uh, you guys brought up the uh, issue of moving the uh, equipment, and I would highly like recommend, from my experiences, moving uh, or paying a moving company to do this. Um, not only will you not, you know, push it into the side of a wall, house, or a vehicle, trying <laughs> to get it wherever you're getting it, but they'll also help you. Uh, usually, uh, you know, two to three guys will be doing it, uh, so it's safe. They can also help you lift it off the pallet, and then you can install your mobile kit, or uh, in my case, I installed casters. Um, and, uh, yeah, it saves a lot of time. So if you figure three hours to get it off a pallet versus, uh, you know, 45 minutes for some guys to help you move it and, and stuff, you know, time's money. So uh, just my thoughts. Love the show. Thanks, guys. Couldn't agree more. Uh, that said, I have a moving video that I did for, I don't know, maybe my second move where these guys almost spilled my table saw over on the side. So, you know, even a lot of these guys don't have much experience moving power tools. So the, the weight and the balance on them may be a little bit new <laughs> to them. So you do yeah. still have to keep an eye out and make sure you're insured and all that good stuff. But uh, yeah, it's definitely not as good as it or perfect as it could be, but well, you get some professional I can tell help. you, even if they do have experience moving power tools, 
you know, these suckers are heavy. Yeah. And there's that whole inertia thing. Like we had a, we bought a new molder at the, at the millworks and, you know, the manufacturer came in to install it. You know, this is what they do for a living. Mm -hmm. And they still almost collapsed the entire building on top of it when they (laughs) forgot about like the momentum thing and almost took out a load bearing um, post because I don't know what, I don't know what the weight on this six head power mat molder is, but more than, you know, a truck easily actually probably much more than a truck and they got it moving and like it kept moving and it like slammed into this pole and you heard a loud crack and a snap and yeah it was really scary so and and they do it for a living so yeah i mean a lot of variables (laughs) yeah there's lots of stuff to worry about (laughs) good stuff all right matt you get the next one this one is from keith says hey guys in response to a question about your spalting your own wood this is something I can offer some insight on. I left a, fr- a few fresh cut maple logs in a pile on on leaves all fall and winter. And by next fall, I grabbed one to use for spoon carving. Uh, turns out it's bolted up quite beautifully. I've experimented with different species and conditions since then, but I've never had the, su- the success of sugar maple buried halfway or more in a pile of wet leaves. If at all possible, try to leave a few logs that have the same type of spalter after in there also, preferably split up those uh, split up to expose the infection so there's some more information about that it's that kind of funny because last week i was listening back to the episode and i never actually made my point on this one <laughs> okay you want to do that now that's kind that of happens funny. a lot by the way matt you'll get used to that <laughs> my actual point was that i've never had to because i have so much of it you know coming out of my you know what that i don't have any reason to make it myself i can always go find some and cut some yeah, and I don't do a whole lot of it because it's really hard to sell it. Not a lot of people are interested in it in any kind of quantity either. So if I do like three logs of spalted lumber, I'll have enough stuff to sell for like three years hmm. because one person comes by and buys like one board, you know, twice a year. Right. So fair enough. Yeah, I think I think spalting's a little bit like figure too. If you just have a little bit, it's like eh, you know, like yeah. the, the turners and things. Well, turning in general, when you've got a a small object, it's got to be really really figured or really really spalted. You know. And if you've got a board that's that spalted, you have to question its structural integrity. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the tricky thing with it, right? Because like one or two little veins of the stuff it doesn't quite cut it. But then when there's too much, you've got all this soft sort of punky grain and, and uh, soft wood that's going to be a little tricky to work with. So mm-hmm. I think probably one of the keys to Keith's thing, too, is that he said he left it in the fall and the winter, which tells me it was probably felled somewhere in the summer when the sap was rising, right? Which is what you know, causes all the bugs and all the rot and everything to, to take hold. So, mm-hmm. you know, I bet if you felled the tree in the winter, you probably wouldn't have it spalt on you. Or if it did, it would take a lot longer than it would from a sugary sap filled, you know, spring or summer filled tree. Sure. Sure. Makes sense. Sure. 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 All right. So, um, <laughs> more talk about moving, uh, planers. This comes from dual. Um, he's the, uh, bipolar woodworker duels his name. Uh, yeah. After I heard about your near misses while moving planers, I thought you'd like to see what happens when a planer <laughs> does fall over. <clears throat> I, I had my planer accident a month or two ago when I was moving the planer around on its stand to make some adjustments to the chain underneath. Guess I moved it a bit too far and boom, it <laughs> it got up. Uh, anyway, I got it up and running again. Uh, I had to get parts for the Grizzly planer because there are no parts available from Delta. That's kind of weird. Uh, the bench shaft is where the elevator wheel used to be. So since the planer has now lost its grizzly parts, has it lost its soul? Ooh. <laughs> Crossover. Nice. nice. Nicely um, done. 
um, he, I think, tried to send us some pictures of this. It sounds like it anyway. But um, he does say that his other hobby is crashing quadcopters and wants to be the first to make a shop tour with a quad-mounted camera and hope it doesn't crash into the planer. Mm, that'd be cool. I'd watch that. Yeah. Or, like, send it through the planer while it's running. Yeah. See yeah. what happens. There you go. That's a good idea. Uh, all right. So next up, we're going to do a poll. Uh, you guys might remember not too long ago, we did a poll of the week every week and, uh, Tom Ivino, a good buddy of mine would do them for us each week. And Tom is onto other things and has moved on and is not, uh, doing polls anymore. He's, you know, got his sights on much more important things. And, uh, I'm trying to do them myself question mark. And we'll see how well that goes. Uh, these things, you know, I'm not so good at doing these like smaller <laughs> articles like this, but I try to knock a bunch of them out. And then this way I can kind of weekly release them as I go. So bear with me. I will try to have one of these in each uh, show each week. So last week, and I forgot to do it last week. So last week we asked the question, <laughs> are you a good start? Yeah, I know. Right. I'm doing perfect. <laughs> uh, are you concerned about wood dust? And we actually have some results from this and you can go to the website right now and uh, cast your vote. But we have a thousand and forty one people chimed in. And uh, let's see, the majority said 43 percent, almost 44 percent said, yes, I use a dust collector and or a respirator slash dust mask. Uh, Next up, you've got 271 votes. That's 26 percent said, absolutely. I use a dust collector, respirator and an air cleaner. Twenty five percent said a little. I collect what I can at the uh, with a dust collector. And let's see, three, three and a half almost percent said, nope, my nose hair is all the dust uh, dust filter I need. <laughs> there you go. Good luck with that. It was Vanderlust, wasn't it? I think it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, some of us have more nose hair than others. Uh, 2% said, dust? What's dust? Pass the number four smoother. So there you go. Now, if you want to give us your opinion, head over there. We'll put the link in the show notes and you can tell us what you think about dust. And uh, next week's poll, which you can also answer right now, is what's your favorite finish to spray? So if you do HVLP, there's a, a couple of options there. I'm just curious what kind of finishes people like to send through their HVLP guns. Because I think that's interesting stuff. All right, so this week's featured topic. This one comes from uh, John Wilson. We're going to kind of riff on it a little bit. He says, a kickback on benchtop or floor-standing mortisers from a few episodes ago. Why even bother with them anymore? Hasn't the domino made them obsolete? Kind of like how my saw stop has made all of Shannon's handsaws obsolete. <laughs> ha! Couldn't resist, <laughs> he says. Uh, is there anything a mortiser can't do that a domino can, or vice versa? Price point of a domino is right between the cost of a benchtop and floor-standing powermatic mortiser. All right, so definitely a valid point there. Uh, the domino has changed a lot of things and anyone who has a domino sort of looks at any kind of other way of making a mortise and tenon as uh, like, you know, last decades news. Like, why are we even talking about it? Because this thing does it so much better. So I had trouble coming up with things that, uh, <laughs> that would make it justifiable to have the, the mortiser in the same shop as a domino. So let's start there. Um, do either of you have, a suggestion for what you might be able to do. And I guess the obvious thing is square mortises. There might be a need if you're doing maybe a through mortise and you want that thing to be square. And for me personally, I don't like using that tool for through mortises just because I, I find that the, the surface that it leaves, the nature of that chisel and bit cut is sometimes not great. You get that little half crescent type mm-hmm. thing and I, I don't I don't enjoy it. Lots of potential for tear out. I'd rather use a router and some kind of fancy jiggery. Uh, so other than that, can you guys think of anything that you could really do with the mortiser that you cannot do with a domino? So are we talking the domino or the domino XL? 
Uh, let's okay. So size obviously can be a thing, right? So let's let's yeah. just let's That's just. That's where my mind went. I was going to say there's capacity issues there, but well, let's say the XL then, because the oh. XL does just about anything most average small shop woodworkers would want to do in terms of size of, of mortise and tenon joints. <clears throat> That's true. Yeah, if you got to like huge tenons, like workbench tenons, neither would do that. So, yeah, you know. Um. Well, I mean, the the, the first thing that comes to my mind is. Has has either of you <laughs> has, has you. either man? My grammar is good. Has you guys ever made <laughs> loose tenons using a mortiser? No, no. Because I mean, obviously integral. you're dealing with two mortises and you know the loose tenon. You can't really use a benchtop mortiser to cut uh, a mortise on the end of like a rail, right? Right. So the benchtop mortiser definitely can't do that. That's one that, you know, in the other way. Um, but in the big picture, why do you care? Like, why would you want to put that there? You could just do an integral tenon and the, the need is satisfied. Right. Functionally. I mean, you're right. You can't do it, but who would want to when there's this other way to do it? Traditional, traditional mortise and tenon. I don't know. I mean, when you talk about the big floor standing mortisers, um, there is some repeatability in there that makes things really, really quick. But at the same time, you know, then, then if we're talking about long mortises, but make a couple of plunges with a domino, <laughs> yeah. it seems to be, yeah, you know, I don't know. I think, I think he's got a point. And there are certainly things uh, that the domino can do that the mortiser can't, you know, just because it's small, you're bringing the tool uh, to the work. You can get it in places. You might not be able to get the the mortiser. You can work it on surfaces that are big and flat and make very shallow mortises on them. Uh, there's probably a whole host of things you could do with the domino that you can't do with the mortiser. Um, now, I keep mine around just for special situations. I used it on the Barrister bookcase uh, just because I can't always pull out a $900,000 you know, tool uh, just to say, okay, make them this way. You know, I've got to show other ways to do it. And for variety, I keep it around. But if I were just building furniture on my own and not telling anyone about it, it would be really, really hard for me to do anything but pull that that stupid domino out. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Matt, I know you've got some uh, hollow chisel mortiser experience. What do, you, what do you think? I mean, can you still justify it? The, the only thing that I can really think of, and it's like you could probably do it just fine with the domino if you do a little bit of a workaround, is a... Uh, like a framing panel where you want to run a through groove for the panel and then the mortise well the the groove becomes the mortise for the the uh the uh, rail of the uh yeah of the door and then you're basically if you did it with the domino you would if you want to fill that groove with the rail you would still have to cut a stub tenon on it and then cut your domino on the end of that so you might as well just make an integral tenon because you're already doing it mm-hmm. but i guess i mean it's a little faster in that sense. I don't know. That's the only thing that comes to my mind though. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Uh, now price wise, you know, we should clarify the, the entry level domino is 970 bucks. The XL, I didn't get the price on that, but you can probably look it up. It's obviously over a thousand dollars. Uh, you can get into the mortiser game for like 330 bucks, you know, some for 320, uh, and they go up to like 489 for the powermatic. So there's your whole range of, the benchtop mortisers. And I think most people who are listening to this show probably would get the benchtop version. Um, so I don't even know that we need to consider floor standing. That's a pretty big price difference between that and the entry level 
you know, standard domino, f- what is it, the 500 at right. nearly $1,000. So there's definitely some cost justification for not doing it. But functionally, bleh. I don't think I can come up with any really good solid reason. So, you know, this is a great thing for the audience. Let us know if there are things that you do with a hollow chisel mortiser that you don't think could be accomplished with the, the domino. Because uh, we're very interested. Uh, thanks for that question, John. I thought that was a pretty thought-invoking one. Very cool. All right, let's move into our emails. Uh, this one here is from Paul. He says, hey, guys, love the show. One question for you. I actually have a couple more, but figured uh, basically he doesn't want to get banned from the show. Good thinking, Paul. Uh, he says, I'll be gluing up a large tabletop consisting of about six boards. As it pertains to the direction of growth rings on the end grain of the boards, I've heard two methods. The first one is that you should alternate the growth rings in order to keep it flat. The other is to not alternate the boards. They should be oriented in the same direction. In other words, the growth rings should set up so that the inside smaller rings are facing up and the outside of the tree larger rings is facing down since the inside is the hardest. From a finishing standpoint, this would be better because each board would absorb the same amount of finish. I learned about this in a woodworking class and the instructor explained that if you've ever seen a board that looked different in a kitchen door panel, this is the reason. So is one of these right and wrong or does it boil down to personal preference? What method do you use? Uh, we've talked about this in the past. I thought it's worth asking again because it kind of or talking about again because it does come up quite a bit. And I'd like to hear um, both uh, Matt and Shannon's perspectives on this too. Um, you know, for me, I don't think about it very much. I think that's the, you know, you can, there's a lot of things in woodworking. You could really go down a rabbit hole, overanalyze and overthink. But for me, I'm always organizing my boards so that the top looks the best. And if there's a little bit of slight difference in absorption of finish, it's going to be minute. It's going to be something very few people will ever even notice. So, you know, this is just not something I find worth it to spend a whole lot of time, you know, aching over and trying to figure out. Uh, So I go for what looks the best on the top grain. I don't, I barely even look at the end grain at all. Uh, I I just don't care. So I'll probably have a mixture, some up, some down. Um, But as long as the top presentation of grain looks good, that's what matters the most. And if you've got good stable stock that's been milled properly, kiln dried, it's not really going to bow like crazy, like uh, barring some weird thing happening or extreme moisture changes and things like that, it's probably going to be pretty darn stable as is flip it whatever way you think looks best on the top, secure it to the base, allow for movement, you know, seasonal movement. And I just don't think that there's enough justification to worry about this stuff these days. Um, so Shannon, what do you think? Is that, uh, am I, am I too cavalier <laughs> in my attitude toward this? No, um, I agree with you. So no, of course I don't think you're too cavalier, no, well, but thank I, can, you, I can expound upon that a little bit and say, I'd be willing to bet that what you've chosen that looks best. If you did look at the ingrain, you would probably discover that they're all oriented the same way. Yeah. And that's the decision I made was based on that and not even realizing it. Right. And, and when he talks about a specific thing, the, the instructor said, um, you know, if you look at a door and a kitchen door panel, if one looks different than the other, I guarantee you that's probably because the board is flipped longitudinally, yeah. like along the long axis. Mm-hmm. So the grain is running in an opposite direction. Not that you've, you're seeing the inside of the tree versus the outside of the tree. It's that the grains run in the opposite direction and light is, is reflecting off of it or absorbing differently. Yeah. Refracting, I should say, differently into that, the structure of the wood. So, then, I mean, there are certainly instances where you can flip a board um, across its width and and maybe still make the cathedrals or if you're using riffs on or flats on and still make it kind of match. But you're going to find that the best match is when the grain is all running the same direction. Um, 
unless you're going with a book match, obviously. But even then, longitudinally, they're generally facing the same way. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, and, and book match panels don't look the same across the goo line. You rely upon that contrast to make a book match panel. Um, I also take a little exception to this idea that the inside of the tree is harder than the outside of the tree. I think that's a pretty gross um, sweeping statement. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never heard that before. This is the first I've ever heard that before. <laughs> um, it's not like the inner growth rings are being compressed as the tree grows. You know, maybe they have more extractives, which is what colors heartwood, but and maybe you can make a case for that in a species or two, but I definitely don't think, and probably not in domestic species that we're used to here in North America. So, yeah, I, I say, I say, foo, foo on you. Well, and at the same time, even if it isn't a hard or soft sort of density situation, there there may be other properties of the wood that could lead to um, finish absorbing slightly differently. But if that were the case, I, I feel like I kind of would have noticed that before. Yeah, you know, like yeah. boards well, and, always and, toward the pith tend to absorb more or less uh, toward you know than toward the outside, and I haven't, I don't, can't say I've really seen that very much. Yeah, and I think the biggest difference you see from panels is because of how the light is reacting to it. I mean, yeah. that's how we see, right? <laughs> physics, physics tells us that we see because light bounces and hits our eye, right? Um, and and the reason that figured looks figured is because you've got more ingrain and light is absorbing deeper into those areas. Certainly, there can be some tent that comes with that with finishing, but you're just flipping the board, so it's going to look different. Mm-hmm. Not because it's necessarily growth rings up or growth rings down. Yeah. And honestly, the only time I think I would put even a little bit more thought into this, if I were, for whatever crazy psycho reason, wanted to just go all hand planes on this thing, I might be a little bit more concerned. And I'm not even so much thinking about end grain. I'm just thinking about face grain directionality mm-hmm. so that I could yeah. plane this without mm-hmm. trouble later. Right. That's exactly what, that's exactly how I look at it. I'm looking at edge grain, not end grain. Yeah. To make sure that I'm not going to give myself more work to do. Um <laughs> Unless I'm book matching, and yeah. then I know what I'm in for. Right, and, right, right. And actually, that's a later question, so I'll shut up. Matt, real quick, do you <laughs> do you put a whole lot of time and effort into end grain orientation? I put all my effort into the look of the top or whatever I'm doing. That's way, way Matt more. Matt doesn't glue up panels; me. he just uses slabs. Yeah. There you go. You use a whole one. Why would you glue up panels when you could just use one <laughs> wide board? You just look Come for on, a bigger guys. tree. That's all. <laughs> nice. No, but I just I I really just don't really care about those. I think they're almost myths. Like you need to alternate the boards up and down. Well, if they all cup, they're all cupping in different directions. Now you have like a wavy top. <laughs> yeah, it looks beautiful. But if you, I mean, if you had them all going in the same direction, the whole thing's in a cup in one direction or the other. But the other thing people don't really consider is that if it's attached to a table properly, the frame of the table is going to hold that panel flat anyway. Yeah. So it's probably easier to counteract the cupping of them all going in the same direction than some kind of crazy hills and valley thing. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, all right. Well, that's good. I guess we're all in agreement. If anyone disagrees, let us know. Yeah. Sure they will. Or, or not. Kick it back, baby. Kick it back. Oh, it's me now, huh? It wow. is you. Yeah, that's that's what that silence means. Well, Jeez. it's just funny because we were just talking for so long and everyone's talking. All right. This is from Michael. <laughs> you saying we talk too much? No, I'm not I saying agree. we talk too much. Just That was a good conversation. <laughs> And I did. I forgot that we were doing email. I thought we were doing some other. That's how I we could've... like to. That's what we like to do with good conversation: is stop it cold, <laughs> yeah, and just see what happens to see if you notice it's your your turn next. <laughs> so, uh, good luck with one, that. This is from Michael. 
says, I never knew how you guys do this, but let's say you're doing a panel glue up with parallel clamps and want to scrape the glue off after it begins to set up. How are you scraping the glue off the bar of the clamps resting on the wood? Are you temporarily removing the clamps to scrape the glue, or are you just scraping the glue up to the clamps bar and moving on? I just scrape up to the clamps bar, move on, and when I take the clamps off, have like a little like a nubbin of glue there, and I'm going to sand that panel anyway or do something to that panel so it gets removed in the next step anyway. Cool. I don't have time to be taking off bar clamps and put them back on and get all clean. Cremona don't got time for that. I got time for that. <clears throat> you know, I've actually had someone send me uh, a product. I don't know if it's on the market yet, so I'm not going to say too much about it. I didn't partially because I don't remember the name, uh, but it's in the shop and I'll be talking about it at some point in the future. But these little plastic um, straddle things that go on the bar clamp and actually raise the the boards up a little bit and just give you that little bit of extra room that if you want to flip the the whole assembly once the clamps are tightened down, you can kind of flip it up on end and get the the you know a, a scraper of some sort, a putty knife under there and actually get that glue off. It's uh, pretty darn cool. So I'll talk about it more later. You know, I I don't even bother to scrape the glue <laughs> off. Yeah, but you're going to be doing a lot of surfacing. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's right. what my cabinet scraper's for after the fact. But sometimes even... that stain that you get there, that can go pretty damn deep. You know, so I mean, depending on how much surfacing you want to do after the panel glue up, I, I could, I try to avoid it for that reason, because I don't, I don't want to deal with deep stains. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Stains are no good. Yeah. They're embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This, uh, this email comes from Josh. He says, I'm working on a mission shaker style sofa, love seat slash cuddle chair. I like that. Nice. Um, I'm making uh, 12 by 13 red oak side panels, and it's my first time making book matched panels from the same board. I really like the match look, but I'm having trouble with tear out in the center of the panel where the two boards come together. I put the boards together at half inch thickness, glued the panel together, then milled it to three eighths inch thickness on the planer. I plan to get to a final five sixteenths by hand. I'd never realized the grain would change direction from one board to the next. Duh. He said that, not me. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> there was some manageable tear out from the planer. My number four Ward's master pre 1940s vintage smoother. It's causing tear out. If I cross the center line on the book match, the Hawk plane is pretty sharp can shave the hair off my arm. If that is any gauge. So he wants some opinions on what to do to get from the three eighths inch down to five sixteenths. Um, he can either rent time on a drum sander at a local hardware store, lumber yard, get a card scraper, um, are they effective at removing a 16th of material? Find and restore a cabinet scraper plane or norm style belt sander and a light touch. <laughs> That's nice. Um, or a low angle block plane, or is that going to have the same tear out problem? Or if we had any other ideas? Well, <clears throat> I tell you how I do this because um, I, I alluded to this earlier. You know, I try not to do this because I know that I'm going to run into that reversing grain direction. When you flip a board over, the grain moves the opposite direction. When you flip a board across its width, I should say, the grain is now moving the opposite direction. So if you want to keep planing the same direction, you have to flip the board along its long axis. But book match looks pretty cool, right? So every now and then you want to you want to see that, especially if you resaw it yourself. Well, I know that I'm going to have that problem. And frankly, I still use my smoothing plane. Um, I, I have to question, and he does specifically say it's a vintage smoother. Um, you might want to look at tuning that plane a little bit more, tighten up that mouth first and foremost. We'll assume that the blade is plenty sharp, right? He says that it's shaving arm hair, so it's probably pretty sharp. Um, you want to advance that frog so that the mouth is really, really tight and you want to back off the shaving as much as you can. Now, if you've got 
what did he say? Five. So he's got a sixteenth of a material to remove. That's not that much wood. Um, you know, even if you're taking a thousandth of an inch, um, you know, it's not like you're going to make a thousand passes, right? What's sixteen thousand divided by sixteen? Somebody, quick, that many passes. A million. You know. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not a huge amount of work. It's certainly going to be more work to do this. But if you're having, if you're dealing with difficult grain, your best bet is a nice light cut with a sharp blade with a very tight mouth. The mouth should be no, like a, a, a gnat's wing, the dust on a gnat's wings thickness wider than the shaving that you're taking yourself. And as you go down that glue line, work right up to the glue line going, switching directions on either panel. When you come to that glue line, skew that plane really heavily like past 45 degrees to the grain line. So you're practically pushing the plane down the board sideways. All of that combined, you shouldn't get any tear out on there unless you're dealing with really, really, really difficult, weird wood, in which case I'd grab um, a scraper, card scraper. Um, You can remove a fair amount of wood with a card scraper. You can remove even more wood with a cabinet scraper like a number 80 cabinet scraper. I don't think you need to go so far to get a scraper plane um, just because then you're going to be uh, beholden to the length of the sole. Um, just like, like you know, trying to smooth out a board with a, a big long joiner plane. Uh, you're better off to have that smaller wheelbase of a card scraper or a cabinet scraper. But you can remove a lot of wood there. But again, the, the heavier the cut you take, the better your chances are of tearing that board out a little bit. So stick with your smoother first. Tighten up the mouth and skew the heck out of that blade uh, as you're coming down the glue line. And I bet you you'll probably be okay. Cool. Sounds good. Well, folks, uh, did you like what you heard today? Do you want to support us continuing to do this show? Well, if you do, you might want to go to woodtalkshow.com and look over in the side column. There's a couple of donation links, totally optional. You don't have to do it. We'll just make you feel guilty if you don't. Uh, <laughs> click on one of those. We have a recurring, small recurring donations or a one-time donation to help support the show. You could also go to twwstore.com and pick up a Wood Talk t-shirt. And uh, if you want to, you don't have to, to do much more than a few clicks. Just uh, go to your, your favorite podcast directory, and iTunes is a good one, uh, sort of. It's one. Let's just say that. Uh, <laughs> it's, click, one. <laughs> it's one. Click on ratings and reviews and give us that five-star rating. And a lot of people did, but no one recently. So, uh, you know, give us some reviews. We'll read them on the show right here. And Shannon, how about we give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. I feel like we should add that we have uh, tracking software and cart abandonment uh, uh-huh. sequences set up. So if you actually add a Wood Talk t-shirt but then not check out, we will read your name on the show. Yeah, that. And Shannon will write you and be like, dude, what's up? Yeah. What are you doing? Come on, man. Anyway, if you have comments, questions, topic suggestions, or would like to listen to the episodes prior to 20 whatever it is, mm-hmm. and you don't feel like refreshing your feed, go to woodtalkshow.com. All the shows are there. You can comment on them. You can listen to them. You can download them. You can Play print them, them out and read them old school. Massage however them. However you want to do it. Kiss yeah. them. You can print them out, crumple them up, and throw them away. Yeah. If it makes you feel good about <laughs> that physical destruction of our show. Yeah. But the show is not possible without you. So please leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. You can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Or you can use our fancy contact form again at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. Leave off the contact and you find the episodes. Yeah, see, that's how that works <laughs> there. Nice. Um, and, and when you're on the pages on our website at woodtalkshow.com, you can actually leave comments there as well. Or you can go to our Wood Talk Facebook page. Could I have made this any longer than it is already? I'm sure you could. 
I could. How about I do? So if you're looking for show notes or downloads from today's show, again, go to woodtalkshow.com. And don't forget, we all have websites at thewoodwhisper.com, renaissancewoodberg.com, and themattcremona.com. <laughs> yeah. Change that. I just, I read whatever's on there. There so. you go. Go. Well, you said it last week, you, you know, got to protect the brand. So that, uh, that's mine now. Oh, oh is did, it really? Did you nice. go buy it? Oh, yeah. Sweet. Well done, sir. I don't want someone snatching that up after they heard it on Wood Talk. Yeah, now that we mentioned it. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Very nice. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. See ya. Goodbye. <laughs>